but memories stick with you. I remember in particular that my mother, when in the mornings when we were getting ready for school and come down and eat breakfast, she always had the radio on, tuned to KDKA, first radio station in the country out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, the area where I grew up. And I remember particularly one early January uh, morning, there should be something on here, Hal, uh, one January morning, came down and I, I heard the, the news account of some missionaries that were killed in the jungles of South America. And I, over the years, have learned a little bit more than that. I don't know, I don't know why that, that stuck with me, that I, I remembered that. And I don't know whether it's the fact that, uh, that they, at that time they were talking about Indians in the jungle. I didn't know there were Indians down in South America. But, and they talked about missionaries. I've been about six years old, I think, when I, I heard that broadcast. And it just impressed me that missionaries, God would allow missionaries, people that went out to tell other people about Jesus, uh, would allow them to be, to be killed as they are going about their, their task. Over the years, I've learned, by the way, that's, that's 60 years ago that that happened, back in 1956. And the, uh, the killing took place in the jungles of Ecuador, and the men that were killed were Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, and, and Ed McCulley, martyred for the cause of Christ. They were speared to death at the hands of the Hawirani uh, tribesmen that they were trying to reach with the gospel. And uh, kind of fits in with what we're talking about here in the matter of serving, because these five men and their families were genuinely serving God according to the pattern of Christ demonstrated in John 13, as he washed the feet of the, <coughs> of the disciples. These men were serving in love. They loved people they'd never met before. Uh, but but a people a, a people of about five, four or 5,000 uh, in that tribe, and they, they loved them enough to want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they loved in view of eternity. They had a clear vision of an eternal heaven, an eternal hell, and the eternal souls of these lost tribesmen in the jungles of Ecuador. In fact, these guys had a, they had a pistol that they took with them that they used, especially if they would be attacked by a wild animal, something like that. And they, they had agreed before they ever made contact with these folks, ever got down on the ground to be with them, that if they should be attacked, they, they would not use the pistol to kill the Harani people, uh, even if it was to save their own lives. Their, their thinking being, if they were to kill these Haranis before they heard the gospel, they would die and go to hell. Whereas if they themselves were killed, it would be to go and be with the Lord. And so when they were attacked, they had the pistol, but they did not use it against their attackers. They had a a clear vision of eternity as they served. They served first. They took initiative. Certainly nobody could compel them to leave America and, and go to the, the, the hot tropical rainforest down there in, in, in the jungles of, of Ecuador. They, they went to a place where the gospel where it had never been preached to a people for whom Jesus had died but who had never heard his name. These people weren't asking for missionaries to come. They took the initiative to go to them. They served humbly 
and in great difficulty. You, you can read a book uh, written by Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth uh, Elliott, entitled Through Gates of Splendor. And, and it talks about the efforts they went to just getting into a, an area. They uh, taking canoes up the, up the river. They, they flew airplanes in. They had to find a landing strip there by the river where they could actually land. Uh, the, the, all the work and effort that they went through. And then eventually laying down their, their lives in their efforts to serve Christ and get out the gospel to people who had never heard and didn't have much prospect for hearing. Uh, as the story goes on, they, these men died. But Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth, and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel Saint, later on were actually able to go and live among the Harani people learn their language, get to know the people, and as a result of their ministry and some others that came along, many of these Harani people came to know Christ as their Savior. In fact, even some of the very men who killed Elizabeth's husband and Rachel's brother. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? These people came to know Christ as their Savior. Now, the Lord may, may not send you or me to reach a remote tribe in a tropical rainforest. He might. There may be somebody here that God would call to the jungles of South America or Indonesia or someplace in the world, but chances are he's not going to call most of us, especially where some of us are at our, our, our point in life where we're at, to, to go to one of those places and, and share the gospel. But the truth of the matter is he does expect us to demonstrate the same kind of servant's heart exemplified by these five men, by their families, and certainly the kind of a servant's heart exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one other characteristic that comes, comes into play here, and it's the matter of being, being misunderstood in what we do. And uh, God wants us to go through a life where we are, are not seeking to be served ourselves, but rather we are living seeking to serve, seeking to be a blessing to other people. And we have the example of that, as we said a moment ago, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we began looking at John chapter 13 last week, and we saw that Christ served in those first four ways demonstrated by those men that, that went to Ecuador. And he also served in the area where he was misunderstood in what he did. As he washed the disciples' feet, they didn't understand what he was doing. In fact, sometimes people make a cursory reading here, and there's a misunderstanding there. And the fact of the matter is sometimes, many times, when you serve Christ and you're looking at things through the vision of eternity, people don't understand that. Uh, they, they don't see how you can do things that you do. They, they just miss the, they miss the picture. And we find that was true with the, uh, the men who went, went to Ecuador and laid down their life. Serving the Lord effectively involves seeing the big picture even when others don't. We talk about the big picture, we're talking about the eternal picture, we're talking about the divine picture. Seeing life, our lives, seeing this world through God's eyes. And Jim Elliot saw the big picture when other people questioned. People questioned him after he graduated from Wheaton College. He, he was quite, a, a, quite an intelligent man, uh, had, had a lot of qualities, quite a charismatic individual. We know a little more about him than the others because he, he, he wrote. He wrote some amazing journals. 
But people question, why, why would you go to South America? Why don't you go? If you're going to minister for the Lord, man, take a big church someplace or do something like that. Why go to a, a place where there's only a few thousand people that even, even speak that language? They, they question that. And then certainly after he died and what he was doing, as well as the other men, people said, what a waste. What a waste of those five lives to be snuffed out like that and doing what they were doing. But these men saw the big picture. And I love some of the quotes that uh, show up in Jim Elliott's journals. Here's one that stuck with me for years and, and helps me as a checks and balance of my own life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, most of the things that people strive for and live for down here, you can't keep for eternity. You're going to leave them all behind when you leave this world. But when you, you do that which is pleasing to God and that which for which he will reward you, he is no fool to give up what you can't keep to gain the eternal favor and blessing and reward of Almighty God. I love his prayer. He prayed to the Lord, I, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And great statement when it comes. When it, time comes to die make sure all you have to do is die make sure you don't have to go make apologies to people don't make sure you've left unfinished business all over the place but live in, in, in preparation every day to be ready to be taken out of this world we find that uh, we can be misunderstood Jesus is certainly misunderstood if you have your Bibles turn with me to John 13 as he uh, goes about this task they're, they're that gathered there at the, the Last Supper, and they're eating supper, and it, we're told Jesus takes off his garment, stands up, takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel about himself, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And it says then in verse 6, Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. You find Peter didn't understand. First question, he asked the question, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Really? You're going to wash my feet? And in fact, as I read about Peter asking this question, I couldn't help but come up with a question in my own mind. Lord, you died for me? Really? For me? Jerry helped share with us this morning in the song that he sang. Why did he do that? He loves me. And maybe you would ask the Lord the same thing. Why would you come into this world and die on Calvary's cross in my place? You did that for me, really? And Peter, you're going to wash my feet? You're the Lord. You're the master. You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus responds to him, and he says, well, what, I'm, what I'm doing for you. You don't understand fully right now. Here's what they're misunderstanding. But, but you will understand and then he gets ready to wash peter's feet he says lord you're never going to wash my feet 
And the Lord's response was, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Man, I like Peter's response to that. Then, Lord, if that's the case, not just my feet, do my hands, do my head, give me a bath, wash me all over. And then Jesus responds to him. And he says, if you've been cleansed already, you don't need a full bath, but you just need your feet washed. And actually, we find that Jesus is setting an example in this foot washing, but he also is giving a very important illustration and what he's doing here of, of cleansing in the life, in our lives. And the fact of the matter is, every single individual needs a spiritual cleansing. We all need a spiritual bath. We all need to be saved. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're born dead in trespasses and sin, and we need to be born again. We need, to be, we need that salvation experience to come at a point in our life. If you're raised in a Christian home, wonderful. But the fact that you have Christian parents, Christian grandparents, does not make you a Christian. doesn't make you clean before a holy God. There needs to come to that place in our life where we repent of our sin, take Christ to be our Savior. And as we do that, uh, exercise that repentance and that saving faith, the promise comes through. We are given eternal life. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are made a child of God. And we need that spiritual bath desperately. If you don't have it, you're going to hell. No doubt about it. And we need that one time in our lives. When we get saved, we are saved eternally. We are given everlasting life. But then we realize, even after we're saved, we may intend, okay, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior, and I am never going to do anything selfish again. I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm never going to say a bad word again. I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to follow Him completely, and I'm going to be willing to die for Him like those missionaries down in Ecuador, and and I am never going to do anything wrong again. How does that work out for you? How does that work out? I'll tell you how it works out for me. I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was seven years old, and I was determined. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm going to stand for Him at school. i got to be honest with you. I have not lived a life of sinless perfection since that time. Does that surprise any of you? I didn't think so. And none of us have. We live in a wicked world. And although we are saved, we still have that sin nature. We've got the Spirit of God dwelling within us, but we still have that sin nature, and there's a battle that goes on inside of it. And that old nature and the pull of this world pulls us over into the the dirt and the filth of this world, and sometimes we get contaminated by it. Sometimes we do things that are wrong. So what do we need? We need to get saved all over again? Uh Uh-uh. What do we need? We need a spiritual foot washing. Well, how in the world do you get that? You get that by confessing your sin. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 1 John 1, 9. You know what it says? What's it say in 1 John 1, 9? Repeat it with me. If we what? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to, <laughs> to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's too slow. i got to say it fast. I was waiting for you guys. 
What a great promise. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we will say the same thing about our sin that, that Christ said. And by the way, if you study 1 John, you find it's written to believers. It is talking to you and me as believers that we need to confess our sin. And if we say the same thing about our sin that God says about it, and don't try to rationalize it, don't try to deny it, but just say, Lord, I blew it, it's wrong. Please forgive me. Guess what? He forgives us. And we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's how you get your feet washed, spiritually. You go through this life, whenever you know you've done something wrong, don't run away from God. Go to God. Confess your sin. Admit your sin. Accept the forgiveness, the cleansing that he wants to give to you. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your neck before the Lord. But let him break your heart. Be like David in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. God doesn't despise a broken and contrite heart. But when you become aware of the fact you've let your Savior down, don't, don't turn away from him. Turn to him and let him cleanse your feet spiritually. Let him cleanse your life. Give you, this. you don't need to be saved all over again, but you do need that spiritual foot washing. You know what? Christ is ready to do it. And that's what he's illustrating to the, to the apostles here. As he's washing their feet. That's what he's saying to Peter. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will understand. He's picturing more than just a, a lesson in personal hygiene. Or even more than just a lesson in, in humility. He is doing that. But there's more involved than they didn't fully understand. Although Jesus does go on. He says, you're clean already. In general, you're clean. Just like when these guys, before they came to the, the Last Supper, they, they, they cleaned themselves up, and, but then they walked on the dirty streets, and all they needed washed was their, was their feet. They needed those washed. And he says, you're, you're clean. You don't, need, you don't need saved all over again. You don't need washed all over again. You're clean. But then he says, but not all of you. Because there was one there for whom Jesus even washed his feet who wasn't clean, and that was Judas. Judas knew, Jesus knew Judas's heart completely, knew everything about him, knew his, that he was ready to betray him, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But we find that when, when it comes to the, to the matter of being misunderstood, we need to be looking at things from, as best we can from God's perspective and looking at things in the perspective of eternity and even want other people to understand what's going on. We find that uh, we also ought to serve following Jesus example uh, we need to be careful that, that we follow the example that he set for what he does here it is an example for us to follow in serving one another he states his position he said in verse 13 you call me teacher and Lord and you say well for so I am I am your teacher I'm your Lord you're my student you're my servant I'm your, I'm your teacher, you're, I'm, I'm your Lord, you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Talking to those men there in that room, but also as an application here. How should believers treat each other? We ought to humble ourselves before one another. We ought to care for one another. 
Not that we literally need to wash each other's feet, but, but we ought to do things sometimes that are difficult for one another. We need to serve one another. We need to, to love one another, how important that is. Christ says, this, this is the example I've set for you. And, you know, none of us are, are, are above so high lifted up in, in, in Christ's program that we shouldn't be serving other people. You know, none of us should be looking down our nose at, at others and say, well, man, I'm not going to do anything for them. Look, 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 who, look who I am. You know, I teach Sunday school. I can't be expected to shovel somebody's sidewalk for them to help them out. You know, I can't be expected just to give somebody a ride if they need a ride. You know, that's the example. Christ has set for us, and we're his servants. We ought to be servants to others as well. He also says here this is his, this is his command. Um, if I've done this he didn't just set an example but he makes it very clear in case they didn't get it if I've washed your feet you should wash one another's feet. If I have served you you should be serving one another. That's what the Christian life is about. Serving each other, caring for each other. And a little later on, a little further on in John 13, Jesus says, people will see the way that you loved one another the way that I loved you, and that they'll believe that I've come in the flesh. That's kind of our badge of discipleship, the way that we love each other and serve each other and care about each other. How important that is. That's his, that's his command. By the way, I don't need a whole lot of subpoints here. Uh, the fact of the matter is, if, if, if Jesus says we ought to do it, then what, what's true? We ought to do it. Yeah, if, if we have a command for Jesus, then, then we ought to obey that command. His, uh, his command here is, is based upon his divine authority. His command is also based on the fact that, that he sets the example for us. He the teacher, he the master. Look what he does for us. And so if he's willing to do that for us, what should we be willing to do for each other? And, and we should be looking for ways to minister to each other, whether it be the each other's under our own roof, whether it be the each other, each one another in our, our church family, whether it be the neighbor that lives next to you. We as Christians ought to be taking the initiative to look, to serve, to minister to people for the glory of God. Out of tribute for what the Lord has done for us. Christ's concern wasn't for position, but for people. Our concern shouldn't be for how, how good we are. We need to make sure we don't have an inflated view of ourselves. Not that we have to condemn ourselves or anything like that, but it's just that we put others ahead of ourselves. Put Christ first, others second, ourselves third. You've heard that little acronym for joy. What is it? J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. You know what? It works. It's true. That's the command that, that we have from our, our Savior. And, and in connection with that, he also gives us a, a note of encouragement here in verse 17. He says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. 
He sets the example for us, and he promises to us, he says, happy are you, or, or blessed are you. Well, when he says happy are you, it's the same term that you have back in Psalm 1, where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly and goes on through the course of that psalm. It's the same term you have in the Beatitudes. Uh, and he, he's talking about having a, a great joy, really, in life, a settled joy in our life. He, he promises that to us. You want to go through life with genuine, genuine happiness, real joy? Here's the way you go back. We serve one another the way that Christ serves us. And he says, this is, is, as we know these things, this kind of joy is based on knowing the teaching of Jesus about serving, but it's not just based on knowing what Christ had to say about serving. What's he say? He says, blessed are you or happy are you if what? If you do this. Boy, there's so much we know we don't do. And that's why so many Christians are depressed and discouraged and go through life grumbling and, and down because they don't do what they know to do. We're to be not just hearers of the Word. I'm glad you're here this morning to hear God's Word as it goes forth as we teach the Scriptures. But you know what? That's not just what it's about. You're not chalking up any brownie points with God by being here hearing this morning. We ought to take what we hear from God's Word and we take it out, and we are to not just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of it. He says we ought to serve one another. And we ought to take the initiative to serve. And we ought to take the initiative like these five men, even to get the gospel out to people maybe we've never met before. We ought to be faithful in doing that. You know, it's a, it's a blessing based on doing what we know to do. Not just knowing it but doing it. And what a tremendous blessing it is. In this life, but not just in this life, how long does Christ's blessing last? They last for all of eternity. All of eternity. I find also that we ought to, we're going to follow Christ's example. We ought to serve when being opposed and rejected. In verse 2, it says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That's when Jesus went about foot washing. Satan had put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. He knew it. Then in verse 10, he says to Peter, You're clean, but not all of you. Verse 11 says, For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Go to verses 18 and 19. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. All of you don't qualify in this because he knew Judas. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he that I am. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Judas had never been cleansed from sin. And Jesus was fully aware of Judas' coming betrayal. By the way, uh, we get an example here, a tremendous example in Judas. You think about the things that he had done for three and a half years. He had followed Jesus, hadn't he? 
He'd been one of the group, publicly identified with him. He had uh, been involved in the feeding of the multitudes. He had done all kinds of things. But you know what? None of those things made him clean before God. One thing that makes you clean is not religious activity, but rather a genuine repentance towards sin and a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where Judas missed out. That's where he messed up. He never repented of his sin and put his trust in Christ as his Savior from sin. He thought Jesus was going to be his ticket to a great position in the kingdom when Jesus set up his kingdom. Judas was always interested just in himself. That's what it's all about. And Jesus knows he's going to betray him. And by the way, Judas was completely responsible for his choice to betray Jesus. Even though the scripture said Christ would be betrayed, prophesied in scripture that one of his friends would lift up his hand against him that was something that was going to happen going to take place Judas was responsible for what he did we find the key thing here we want to focus in on is the fact that Jesus continued serving in spite of this betrayal he washed Judas's feet I can't get over that I don't know about you but I can't get over that he washed Judas's feet, and now he goes on and he, he continues to teach and prepare the other disciples for the coming betrayal. He tells them this is a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. Don't be surprised when it happens, but rather when it happens, see this as evidence of who I really am. I, I'm God, I can tell you the, the end from the beginning. I can tell you what's going to happen in the future before it ever happens. I'm not taken by surprise by anything. And so he's, he's busy, even though he's going to be opposed and rejected, he's preparing the other disciples as well for what was about to come. Now, sometimes we hit opposition or rejection. Somebody's criticizing us. Somebody gives us a hard time. Somebody doesn't like the, the way that we do something. Or something's hard. We start doing something and, and we're not feeling real well or whatever. Sometimes we, we want to quit. <laughs> okay. Now, Lord, if you're not giving me an easy road, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do your will. And, and if you're not giving me an easy road, then I'm, I'm backing off. I resign. Or I'm at least taking a sabbatical. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to serve the Lord. And people can be tempted to quit to give up. Lord, I, I, I shared the gospel with that fella, and he laughed at me. He said, you don't really believe that, do you? You don't really believe that there's a real hell, do you? You don't believe there's life after death. You don't believe Jesus really came out of that grave. They mocked you. Well, I tried. Lord, I guess I just am not gifted for sharing the gospel, so I'm not even going to try anymore. Don't stop. Don't stop. Christ knows what's coming, and he keeps going. In fact, how many times did he tell the disciples ahead of time, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the, the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to die. But then what did he always include in with that? I'm going to rise again the third day. Yeah, he knows there's going to be opposition. He knows there's going to be rejection. But he also knows ultimately there is going to be victory. And you and I, when it comes to serving the Lord, yeah, we might face opposition, rejection, 
But if we're being faithful to God, there will be victory. Even if we die in what we're doing, there will be victory when we stand before the Lord and He says, well done. And He welcomes us into glory with those open, those open arms. What, what a glorious thing that is. We're looking towards ultimate victory. I think of those five men. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming. Some people might say, well, boy, there's the ultimate rejection opposition there, right? Maybe you should give up on trying to reach those people. I am blown away by the fact that Jim Elliott's widow and Nate Saint's sister went in there. And by the way, Nate Saint's son, Stephen, has also gone down, gone down there. And at one point, he was traveling around the country, and he had one of those tribesmen that had been involved in the killings, and he was going around sharing his testimony of coming to Christ. Wow, what, what, what an example, huh? Just because you get ob ob objection, just because you get rejection, just because you get resistance and opposition, doesn't mean we ought to quit. We ought to keep serving. We ought to keep plugging away. Keep following the example of Jesus. Being he wants us to be. Wash Jesus' feet. Prepare the other disciples. Serve. Keep serving. Seek to serve. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to be a servant to somebody else. Look for somebody in need. Don't just go through life looking for people to serve you and do for you. It'll revolutionize your marriage. If a husband and wife are both looking to serve. It'll revolutionize your home. If parents and children are all looking to be servants. It'll revolutionize the place you work. If you're looking to be a servant for Christ there. Oh, it will do for this church. If we're all looking to just serve the Lord, and we don't care about who gets the credit for it. Well, follow Jesus' example. Follow his command. See the big picture, the divine picture. When other people don't expect Christ's blessing in this life, but especially in eternity. You know, our rewards aren't in this life. And I said, boy, those guys sure didn't get a blessing, did they? They got speared. You know, they had young children they didn't get to raise. They had wives they didn't get to get old with. Blessing? Well, if you think about the fact that they went to heaven, that's not all bad, right? Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. But, you know, you only get that when you see the big picture, when you see the eternal picture, when you see the divine picture. Look at things from God's perspective. Let me encourage you. Keep serving. And serving's not going to make you a Christian. Only trusting Christ as your Savior will do that. Judas did some serving. Didn't make him a believer. He was still filthy in the eyes of God. But if you know Christ as your Savior, be an example of Jesus. Follow his example. Be pleasing to him. Glorify him. Father, I pray that you bring us opportunity to serve you this week. Help us to recognize them. Help us to look for them. Help us to take initiative, whether it's sharing the gospel or, or helping somebody open a door. It's helping somebody in the supermarket that drops something on the floor and we can pick it up for them. 
God, help us to look to be serving, but not just for ourselves, not just so we get to hear thank you or, boy, what a nice person you are, but, Lord, help us to truly be serving, to glorify you, and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you close with me in singing, I hope, a song of commitment this morning. I will serve thee. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd invite, we'd love to have an opportunity to talk with you afterward. Just let me know concerning that. We'd be glad to talk with you. Stand together. I will serve thee because.